podcast, we'd like to welcome everyone to the CISE Rethinking Iran Initiative at JHU. Bilateral relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia have been strained over several geopolitical issues. The two countries uh, broke diplomatic ties in 2016, but have recently engaged in a number of direct negotiations uh, to talk about and resolve regional issues. Today, we're here to talk about these developments and to think about the future of Iran-Saudi relations. We're very excited to have a really terrific uh, lineup of scholars and experts to discuss this issue with us for the next hour. Dr. Hisham Al-Banam is a Saudi political scientist and Fulbright scholar. He's a senior research fellow at the Gulf Research Center and a geopolitical expert and strategy advisor. He's written on the political economy of the GCC states, Iran's nuclear program, uh, the Treaty on Nuclear Nonproliferation, and on the political conflicts between the GCC and Iran. Maria Fantapi is a special advisor to the Middle East North Africa region at the Center for Humanitarian Dialogue. She served as a senior advisor for the International Crisis Group and in 2018 was seconded by the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs to the EU mission in Iraq. Adnan Tabatabai is a co-founder and CEO of the German-based Middle East Think Tank, Center for, the Middle East Think Tank, which is called the Center for Applied Research and Partnership with the Orient, or CARPO. As an Iran analyst, he's consulted by European policymakers and businesses on Iran's domestic and international affairs. Through his work with CARPO, Adnan has designed and facilitated track to and civil society dialogue formats between Iran and Saudi Arabia since 2015. Today's discussion will be moderated by Professor Vadi Nast, the Majid Kaduri Professor of International Affairs at Johns Hopkins SAIS. For the audience, um, please know that you can write your questions throughout the event in the chat box on YouTube, and we will get to them during the Q&A portion of the event. Without further ado, I turn the mic over to Vadi. Thank you very much, uh, Nargis. And I also want to uh, welcome our colleagues uh, to this event. Uh, uh, it's extremely timely. I was very excited, although, as I was mentioning to them earlier, we didn't plan it to be on a, such a historic day uh, uh, for, for Europe uh, and, and Ukraine. Uh, um, but uh, it, nevertheless, we're dealing with a very important topic that, that is, is, is of great importance to the future of the Middle East and Saudi-Iran relations, particularly in in light of uh, nuclear talks uh, are, are very important. Uh, we know that there have been conversations between the two countries, the set of dialogues that have been taking place in Iraq. Uh, and, and I would like to come to, uh, back to that and, and, and discuss it with our uh, participants. But I wanna start by asking each of you to first uh, tell us very briefly, what do you think is the fundamental issue between the two countries as things stand right now? In other words, as, as, they're, as they're planning to meet in, in, um, in Baghdad uh, and, and they have already had these conversations, what is really the, the core issue for each side? And, and Adnan, perhaps you can focus on the Iran side and, and Hisham and uh, uh, Maria can speak on more on Saudi Arabia, but also maybe uh, a broader set of regional issues. So Hisham, let me start with you. If you can tell us uh, what do you think is, is the sort of the core issue for Saudi Arabia uh, in terms of the future of its relationship with Iran. Oh, thank you. Uh Thank you, Professor. Very glad to be here. It's good to be with you and my uh, distinguished colleagues today. Um, allow me first to say that I think it's crucial um, uh, to focus on initiating a common ground, as it's easy to exchange uh, accusations. Uh, what is difficult, in my opinion, is talking to each other uh, rather than talking at each other. And I hope also that these such public events on this specific topic becomes uh, contagious and replicate. Due uh, to the time limitations, I will try to provide, I will try to answer your question and provide also a very brief reading of the current mm -hmm. scene between the two states. Um, uh, I will also offer my view or maybe projection of what should we expect in the near future. Mm -hmm. um, um, I will attempt to be specific. I will avoid cliches, although I'm aware that being uh, specific would make it easier to counter the things I say, but this is the proper way to go, in my opinion, and a risk worth taking, especially with uh, many negative uh, claims and rumors uh, circling around. The good news, um, 
it seems to me that we're witnessing the beginning of a move away from the zero-sum game that governed the relationship between the Kingdom and the Islamic Republic. And despite uh, the escalation uh, we see on many fronts and the major fundamental uh, challenges facing us related to the structure of the region, as this is not the European Union, or maybe this is not a good example now, but anyways, I think it's, uh, it's fair to assume that both states at least understand now that direct communication um, is necessary. So there were several official, as you mentioned, engagements on different levels, high to mid-level, mainly security intelligence meetings. And it's crucial, I think, to distinguish between uh, uh, Iraq and also Oman and Jordan. These are not just different venues for the same thing. Until mm -hmm. now, we had four, four rounds of talks in Iraq. These were moderated by the Iraqi Prime Minister, Mustafa al-Kadhimi himself. In Jordan, there were um, academics and subject matter experts. An intellectual gathering purely, no current officials. I was there, so I can confirm that. And to reduce the noise, if you allow me to say, I have to say that there are uh, many such conferences now and that cannot even, and Adnan can also comment on this, that cannot even qualify as track two or a proper back channel because track two have distinctive characteristics and attributes that do not fit or apply to such meetings. There was also mid-level operational meetings in Oman, official meetings, but not as significant as the ones in Iraq. Uh, why do we have uh, Oman in addition to Iraq? Um, well, uh, my sincere and direct explanation is that this is an indication of the seriousness of these talks, which reflects a strong intentions and tendency to de-escalate. And if this to happen, it requires iterations and continuity. Anything can interrupt uh, these talks should be overcome and dealt with right away. So Oman can be a main stage of talks if it's not possible in Iraq for any reason, security-wise or because any delay related to the uh, government formation. Then Oman would be another established venue for the meeting. And unlike what we hear um, that there are no benefits of previous rounds, uh, the obvious initial result um, is the arrival of the three Iranian diplomats in the kingdom uh, to take up post at the headquarters of the uh, OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Um, and um, so what to expect in the new rounds? In regards first, in regards to timing, because there was a delay. And I think the coming, um, the coming round should happen after the formation of the Iraqi government. And my forecast is that the focus will be on the resumption and normalization of diplomatic relations in the coming rounds. And yes, in my view, a breakthrough is more likely than not. Both parties have enormous benefit in breaking the current pattern of maintaining the status quo, regardless of what, of what, uh, what deal we get in Vienna. And if this breakthrough happens uh, with all the serious and legitimate concerns that the Saudis have, I would say that the ball is in Iran's court with the issues that you asked about. So when opportunity presents itself, I hope that Iran sees it initiate a paradigm transformation from conflict to cooperation, from zero sum to a win-win situation. Uh, the momentum of the nuclear deal should be used also to build the regional security architecture. Uh, working in a functional deal is possible in my opinion. Um, and, uh, and this could be in a form of a regional peace initiative. I, I can come to this later on in our discussion. But in my view, establishing diplomatic relations is not far away. As I said, regardless of what happens in Vienna, I think official channels and bilateral relations between the kingdom and Iran is in itself necessary before discussing any core issues between the two countries. I, see th I say this knowing that obstacles and differences are still too many. And, and, and I actually, I do not want to repeat them here in this, um, uh, in this talk. And confronting the militias and finding a way to deal with the security related threats will persist from the Saudi side. But uh, international relations are all about gray zones. The most competitive interactions between states operate in this realm of uh, vagueness or ambiguity. And let me emphasize that diplomatic ties do not mean that the two states will be allies. Actually, active communication between rivals is more important than friends. Also, the fluidity of relations in the region now is astonishing. The Turks, the Israelis, different Gulf states, the shifting sands require at least a tactical understanding between the kingdom and Iran for the benefit of both. As the battle is extremely expensive, I would argue a higher cost on Iran, but this is a different debate. I'll, I'll conclude uh, without going into much details. Uh, foreign policy is a, is a reflection of local needs. 
there are issue and great issues uh, between the two countries, uh, but, but this applies to both sides. And I think the opportunities are endless, but it definitely, it definitely takes two to tango. Achieving a regional economic understanding and good governance, departing the rentier model and post-all economy is extremely difficult. And I would say actually threatening to the survival of the regimes and state institutions and will require cooperation. No single state in the region can do this alone. And the Saudis, I, I'll, I'll conclude with this. The Saudis have no illusions about changing Iran and how difficult this will be. But they also have no illusions that there, will, there are those who want peace and a better future uh, inside Iran uh, and, and, and elsewhere in the region. Thank you. Well, thank you very much uh, for, for, that, for setting the scene. And, and, um, and, I, and I think uh, you, you laid it out very interestingly rather than focusing on maximal issues of, like, let's say, salt, Yemen, et cetera, on, on literally what can be gained uh, immediately. So, and I would like to come back to some of the issues you raised. But um, so, Maria, maybe I can go to you and uh, you can similarly give us a sense of where things stand. What's the core issues and, and how do you see the lay of the land? Thank you, Vali, and thank you for size for organizing this meeting. Uh, um, well, I think that uh, um, uh, the matter at the beginning was really that one of creating the optic um, of, uh, of, uh, of a solution more than actually solving the strategic differences between these two players. Um, and uh, this we have seen that from the time that the talk started a year ago up until like uh, recently, basically these talks continued on the sideline of an ongoing competition happening still in Yemen, in Syria, in Iraq, and in Lebanon. So, um, but I still um, uh, um, concur with what Hisham said. That, uh, um, I think that uh, there are certain um, uh, strategic uh, changes that are happening at the macro level that are external that can really play in favor of uh, pushing these two players and encouraging these two players to shift from a rather, you know, uh, uncommitted dialogue to a more serious uh, line of communication that is sustainable and that is serious. And I think that I will um, identify at least a couple of points that can um, that can help this um, to increase the seriousness of dialogue between the two players that are external. I mean, one I think is the real uh, what we are witnessing to this uh, to these days, and also in the last in the last six months, the fact that uh, we are seeing that the Middle East is really shifting towards the periphery of the global attention to some extent. We are seeing U.S. engagement. We have seen it with Afghanistan. And we are seeing to this day that the key issues when a war in, in Ukraine is, 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 is happening, that the key issue is actually that the Western interests, the strategic interests that are at stake and the future of NATO and so on. So all these things, I think that they um, really um, uh, sort of push the Middle East towards really almost the periphery of the global attention. And also, of course, they leave a strategic vacuum within the region and and I think that with this U.S. disengagement, you have a really difficulty to see other global players who can fill that gap because we don't see Russia doing that. We don't see China doing that. We rather see uh, that this gap actually it's left to be filled by different regional players. And let me come to the second point, which I think that because this um, gap is left to be filled by different regional players, I think that um, both uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran are are actually uh, going to see many of their own competitors to actually uh, getting prominent um, into this into this uh, space, uh, and therefore maybe they will have interest in actually getting to talk together. Because on the one hand, we see that uh, um, actually smaller uh, within the GCC intra relationship, we, we see that the smaller uh, GCC states are getting more powerful, more prominent. Qatar with an important role in global diplomacy that played in Afghanistan, UAE with very, very agile diplomacy. So these are all competitors for Saudi Arabia, in my view. And on the other hand, you see that also the Iranians, I think, are not in a, in a very good uh, situation because 
issues, Turkey is going to be having an increasingly important role. Already in the past months, we have seen stepping up influence in the strategic zone of influence of Iran, northern Iraq, northern Syria, and with the Ukraine crisis, definitely is going to put Turkey in a very prominent position as the kingmaker, sort of the, of the key player within the NATO alliance, and, and therefore with more leverage vis-a-vis of Europe and with more leverage to operate in Iraq and in uh, in Syria. Therefore, both Saudi Arabia and Iran, really, they have um, their com- competitors within their areas of infer- influence, and that can really be an incentive to get together in some way of, of talking really more seriously between each other. Third, I would say that both Iran and, and Saudi Arabia, they have domestic challenges or like they have challenges anyway to face. I can see, but then, I mean, we have more time later to discuss this, but I mean, Saudi Arabia is very engaged into the implementation of the Vision 2030. There is an entire um, also focus inward and uh, that it's also taking a lot of attention and, uh, and energy. And Iran also is dealing with, with the many issues. I mean, they have supported for several years so many players across the region, non-state armed groups and so on, but now these players from the Hashd al-Shab in Iraq to the Houthis to Hezbollah, they also have their own, to this, the militia in Syria, they have their own local interests that are not necessarily in line with the priority of Iran. They have, they are playing their own, we can see now in Iraq, the priority of the Hashd al-Shab is not necessarily in line with that one of the Iranians. So there is a management issue over there that I think puts a lot of pressure on, on Tehran. So this some of the points really that, that, that are external really, that can really push um, these two players to come together. And last but not least, of course, I think that uh, I think a more stable US policies vis-a-vis of the region, whether it is on the one hand uh, with uh, diplomacy of the ending in a, in a good terms, the, the JCPOA, finalizing the JCPOA, um, having a clear line for disengagement, and also um, at the same time, uh, continuing with the de-escalation policy will also play an important role in having both Iran and Saudi Arabia to adjust um, and to understand for Saudi Arabia that they cannot anymore count on the US as a protector, and that Iran, that. Finally, I mean, they don't necessarily have to focus only on getting the U.S. out of the region. That they that there is a different a different um, game at play, and they really need to come together with together with with the Saudis really to 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 sort of find and define the strategic line of influence across the region. But again, the final line I will say that I think that for a certain time for a certain time uh, along the way we will see that this line of communication has really potential to evolve into something serious, but definitely the main strategic interest of these two players will not be resolved anytime soon. But I think that we have to give hope to the line of dialogue anyway. Thank you. Thank you, very interesting points. I mean, I, I always would think that if, if uh, the Vienna talks got somewhere, uh, I mean, either Iran's path to the world has to go through the Arab Arab world and, and its Arab neighbors or through Turkey. And so there is this sort of a competition that you mentioned between uh, Turkey trying to sit in the middle of the Middle East or Saudi Arabia be the power that sits in the middle with relations with everybody is going to be interesting and relations with Iran is very key to that. Uh, Adnan, um, I mean, uh, both uh, Hisham and Maria raised a lot of interesting issues about, you know, both the regional dimension and uh, and also how Saudi Arabia right now sees uh, the, the sort of the chessboard beha- before it. So I wanted to ask you about, uh, first of all, just like um, uh, 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 Hisham laid out, what do you think is uh, Iran's game plan at this point in time in these talks? What do they want? But 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 I also uh, listening to Maria, wonder how much of the geostrategic issues that she raised uh, is part of the conversation in Iran. In other words, do, do, is, that, is that a motivating factor? Do they also look at the region and look at Turkey and, and, and look at these changes and see that as a, as a sort of a elements of a grand strategy going forward? And finally, um, one of the issues that Hisham raised is, I think, germane, that you know, we, we know still very little about the Raisi government. Uh, and and uh, do you see difference between the approach of this new 
uh, leadership group in Iran and uh, the, the ones who actually started perhaps the talks or, or the engagement uh, in Iraq? And is it more hopeful, less hopeful as we go forward? Thank you, dear Vali, and uh, thanks to your entire team for setting this up. I'm really happy and proud to be with all of you and with uh, Maria and Hasham. Um, yeah, let's try to navigate through, through the great list of questions and issues you raised. So on the one hand, I really think what makes me hopeful when looking at Tehran and at the inner Iranian discourse is that even though Iran views regional issues in its neighborhood still primarily through the lens of the US threat or the threat perceived by the US, Iran has increasingly understood and appreciated and acknowledged the, um, the creative shaping of policies by Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Iran increasingly has appreciated in the past four or five years that really those two countries can also shape U.S. politics towards Iran. Um, this has led to, the under, to an understanding and the necessity in Iran to really spend more time thinking about the UAE and Saudi Arabia in their own right as, as, and give them more agency in regional affairs. Um, this to me is important because this means that there, are, there is more brain cells in Tehran invested into how to engage Riyadh and that stick to Riyadh, obviously, for this event. And uh, I think that the lessons of 2019, let's call them euphemistically lessons. I'm talking about the escalation in the Strait of Hormuz uh, and, the, um, and the attacks that happened. Um, I think these sent a, a strong signal. Uh, there was also the strong signal that the U.S., is not going as far as many had expected in defending their allies or in trying to push back against any sort of threat against their allies. And I think the lessons of 2019 have been learned on, on all sides, uh, in Riyadh, in Tehran, and Abu Dhabi as well. Um, then we had the pandemic, obviously, which had held its own uh, challenges to the region and to, to Iran in particular. And if I look at the discourse of the international think tank scene or the Iranian think tank scene dealing with international affairs in Tehran, there are a few buzzwords that are really coming up increasingly. Um, and one of those is, I, I have the, the, the sense that in terms of military posture in the region, Iran is saturated. We can discuss this later, what I exactly mean by that, but Iran feels that it is, its posture is, so to speak, sufficient, let's call it this way. And that now the shift has to happen towards more political engagement. Iran has understood that it has not won the hearts and minds of countries where, it's either where it either has influence or actual presence. So there might be a shift in my view. The second thing is that um, regional multilateralism is something that the Iranians view as a positive and as a constructive response to globalization. And that having in intensified relations, and this is mainly uh, seen as economic relations with immediate neighboring countries, and this is not only uh, with, uh, with countries like Saudi Arabia and the Emirates, but really also to its eastern and northern borders, um, in trying to explore new avenues for trade relations is something that Iran views as, as being necessary. And the one theme that, because we mentioned Vienna and the nuclear talks, the one theme that is extremely prevalent is the theme of neutralizing sanctions, as, we, as is said in Farsi. So it's no longer just about trying to get sanctions lifted. It's about a long-term strategy a bit of a utopia, obviously, to try to shield the country completely from the impact of sanctions. But how do you do that? Partly by expanding economic relations to immediate neighbors, exploring new trade avenues that can be shielded against sanctions. And this includes trade relations with Saudi Arabia in whatever way they can be uh, developed. Um, <clears throat> I think Hasham is absolutely right. We will have to wait and see what the Iraq government will look like. Like the chances of Mustafa al-Kadhimi against all odds are not that bad. And that he can continue to be the host of Iran-Saudi talks. It was already mentioned that those attending those talks were military and security and intelligence officials. 
I call them track 0 0.5. Uh, and to me, those guys are exactly the, the right ones to start these uh, conversations before elevating them to, to the political level. Um, I think we are already in, an, in such an advanced stage of these talks that even the dangerous attacks of the Houthis to Abu Dhabi, and then there were reports about Hashid uh, also attacking the UAE, this did not lead to public condemnation of uh, Emirates or Saudi officials against Iran being behind this attack or having supported these groups. And this in itself, in spite of the climate still being explosive, as it has been outlined by both Hisham and Maria, shows you that there is some seriousness in these talks. So therefore, I'm, I'm quite positive about them um, resuming very briefly before ending. Um, on what can be the subject of the discussions. To Iran, the, the two most important and sensitive contexts will be Iraq and Afghanistan as immediate neighbors. Here I see a lot of common ground for Iran and Saudi Arabia, some competition when it comes to Iraq, obviously, and the Iraqi economy, uh, a discussion we can lead later. In Afghanistan, I see a lot of convergence of interests. Both countries do not want Afghanistan to become a hub for Daesh Khorasan, for example. Lebanon and Syria will be more difficult, but again, and I will end on this, in Tehran, there was a positive reaction to the Saudi intel chief going to, to, to Syria, playing their part in reintegrating Bashar al-Assad into the Arab League. I think this is something that Iran welcomes. So I see a lot of common ground, um, but obviously against all the odds of what can be difficult. Final point, if I may. Europe... The West, the US, should this process just go for itself, back off, don't even try to support it. You'll only do harm to this process. This is a regionally owned dialogue channel and it should be shielded from, from third parties that might actually do more harm than, than good to this process. Back to you, Vali. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, uh, very instructive. I mean, I mean I'm actually um, a little bit pleasantly surprised that all this talk of uh, positive momentum uh, that, we, that we are, we are uh, seeing from all sides uh, is, not, is not contingent on the outcome of a very difficult case of how do you end the war in Yemen, which often, uh, at least in the United States, is assumed to be the beginning, the beginning point rather than, rather than an end, end point. And I have to say, I think the way both you and Hisham had outlined it, at least the way the capital see it, uh, uh, the idea of building from below on small steps and, and expanding it seems to be more sustainable than putting a lot on, on solving a, a critical, a, a very large complex issue like a, like a war. Um, but there is another issue on the table, that, which is um, important, uh, I guess, in, for Iran and in, for the region, and that's what's happening uh, in Vienna. And, and unlike what uh, Adnan said about uh, about uh, the Baghdad talk, that's all about the Europeans and, and, and the Americans. So uh, I wanted to start uh, with Hisham and, and ask you, I mean, we are talking even about an imminent uh, potential deal, although we don't know what the shape of it would be. To, to see, first of all, what is the Saudi view uh, beyond uh, you know, rhetorical things that they may say in public, really about a deal in Vienna? and how this might be different from the way they received JCPOA in, in 2015. And then if you, if you want to sort of reflect how this might impact uh, the Baghdad talks, at least one rumor has been that part of the delay in, in, in the next meeting has had to do with, uh, with the fact that, you know, uh, Vienna seems to be at a critical stage. Okay. Um, allow me, um... I just wanna, I just wanna um, say something about please, it. I, please. I, 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 yeah, I agree yeah. with most of what Adnan said, um, except uh, Syria. I think it's a little bit early to claim that there is this uh, uh, Syria-Saudi uh, uh, reapproachment or uh, uh, integration. And um, on Vienna, um, um, allow me also for a late disclaimer. Everything I say or maybe predict is my own of course, I think sure, it's accurate. Sure. Otherwise, I would not have said it. But events that follow could go against some of these details that I propose. But as I said, I think it's uh, always a good practice to present uh, specifics that are evidence-based. Hopefully, it wouldn't sure. be misleading. 
and maybe this is not, not what you usually hear. But having um, a deal uh, is the preferred outcome, especially for the Saudis. No sane person would say that a nuclear Iran loose with no deal, no restrictions, is in the interest of the kingdom. Of course, this could be a temporary solution and a burden for a future US administration when the deal expires. But the Saudis are aware of that. The Saudis were not absent in Vienna. If they were not present in the same room they, where the action is, they are in the room next to it. I'm not saying that the Saudis uh, think that a, nucle a nuclear deal will solve their issues, the regional problems, specifically with Iran. No, I'm not saying that. This, actually, this will be very misleading. But everyone, I think, should be uh, reasonable and productive. A nuclear deal uh, will be phase one or a step, a major step in the right direction. Phase two should be a regional deal. So in general, it seems to me that Saudis will be welcoming and supportive of the deal. But at the same time, they will hold everyone to their words. World powers, Iran. I think that the day after the deal is what's important. Uh, confidence building measures, a regional peace initiative, a sustained de-escalation that leads to peace and economic integration in the region. And if you allow me to add, um, mm -hmm. uh, the goal is, um, is a sustainable solution. Whatever you think of Trump withdrawing from the, from the nuclear deal, Trump, Trump could not have done it if it was a robust agreement. Iran, the whole region, would have benefited more from a deal that could pass a Senate vote. We want, we want the primary sanctions to be lifted. And we also mm -hmm. want Iran to give us assurances, commitments to the security of the region. And through legitimate means, not through pro sponsoring proxies, such as what's, what's happening now. If you wish, I could also uh, uh, speak about the source of the conflict, actually, very briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I must say, because I hear this all the time, I'll say that the whole narrative that this is a, a Sunni-Shi'i conflict and the West is innocent, I think is a total fantasy. Uh, it's not uh, Omar against Ali. It's not a closed identity crisis. This is not an acceptable way to look at it. Actually, I think it's very offending to the people of the region. There are, many, uh, you know, there are many reasons of the conflict. Uh, one of the main sources, in my opinion, of the conflict is this. And, and we, we, I, uh, me personally participated in several track two sessions. And I always hear this from my Iranian colleagues. There is this Iranian belief or perception seeing Saudi as part of the Western bloc. And I think that the, the West is, is uh, hugely responsible in this conflict. Large part of the issue is this association between Saudi and the US. This association uh, resulted in an attack on Saudi oil infrastructure. Uh, Seven million barrels go through Gaik. This association was also uh, used for decades in attacking uh, the political security of the kingdom, targeting the, the legitimacy to govern Mecca and Medina. Uh, the question now, I think, is, is this association correct? Uh, it's, uh, it's, I, uh, I don't think it's fair to blame the kingdom for the mistakes of the West, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but this is for a different discussion. I think we're witnessing now a great shift in the region and, uh, and everybody should uh, um, seize this opportunity and this uh, opening window. Thank you. So Maria, similar question that I put to, to Hisham. I mean, if uh, 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 you, you know, you might also reflect on how Europe and potentially US's attitudes towards this dialogue or the region may change if there is a deal or if there isn't a deal in Vienna and, and see how the picture that you draw you drew of the geostrategy of the region may actually change uh, in light of Vienna. Thank you, Vali. Um, well, I think that uh, the, the deal, uh, it's at least uh, when it's done, it's a constant in a world of many variables. So at least it introduces an element, uh, a solid element, or quite solid element um, from which to start. Um, more seriously, and so I think it's it's uh, in that sense I I, I see uh, that, and it also I mean it's a constant not only um, in the relation between uh, Iran and the U.S. It's a, or Iran and, and Europe. It's also introduces a constant in or a more stable variable. Let's say in the relation between um, uh, Iran and, and and Saudi Arabia itself and the Gulf in general. So I think that um, uh, definitely uh, it's something that. Uh, 
it's a preparatory steps towards what are more um, serious talks. However, um, let me also add that uh, the step between even when the deal is done and even when there is this uh, favorable environment for talks becoming more serious, the steps towards really achieving something uh, are uh, more difficult than it looks like. And uh, honestly, uh, I think that, uh, I mean, we were mentioning before, for example, Iraq, and, uh, you know, um, I mean, even there now with the process of uh, government formation, it's quite clear that you have a, a not rather a coexistence between the Iranians and um, and then the Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia, but rather a polarization where some of the Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia, I think that they are um, seeing an opportunity uh, also to increase influence uh, and also in some way maybe to push a little bit um, aside uh, or at least diminish the influence that Iran may have. So, uh, and this is not only happening in Iraq, is happening in it happens also in other stage i mean this competition is still ongoing so it's very much also depend it happens in lebanon it happens in yemen so i mean again um despite this line of communication i still think that um, uh, both from the Saudi and the Iranian uh, perspective, in my view, there is um, still an attempt of seeing, well, how can we push the strategic line of each one of us, you know, a little bit um, on our own interest when it comes to the regional uh, regional scene. Um, and I think that when it comes to Europe uh, and its engagement uh, post-JCPOA, um, I might concur with, uh, with what uh, Hisham was mentioning that... Uh, um, that not always, I mean, that definitely this uh, um, chaos or like the uh, absence of a regional security architecture is not something just that we should blame on the regional players. Uh, in some way, I think that also we see that Europe is taking a new interest to the Gulf. There has been several uh, meetings, several um, uh, travels also to the Gulf capitals, um, and also Gulf uh, um, uh, foreign ministers have visited uh, Brussels. But uh, still, I, I do see that uh, this approach also to a, towards an engagement in the Gulf um, European states, they take it yet in a very um, unstructured manner, sometimes more going bilaterally than actually as a unified uh, and unified block. And sometimes actually they steer the competition between the different Gulf states rather than, you know, uh, helping, uh, helping a cohesive approach. So I'm totally um, concurring with the idea that sometimes actually the 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 west uh, um uh, it's uh, it's part of of the problem thank you excellent so adnan similarly i wanted to for you to sort of explore you know how does vienna play into into or what may come out of vienna whether there's a deal or there isn't a deal uh in, into the way iran is playing the the, the regional relations and, and where it might go with saudi arabia Look, I think the first and, and probably most important point is that um, a successful revitalization of the deal will immediately mean an easing of tensions between Iran and the US. And those have played out mostly on Iraqi territory or in other countries of the region of Iran's neighborhood. So if, if, if those tensions would, uh, if, those if those tensions started to ease, that I believe is good news and will catalyze this process and the willingness from Iranians um, to, to seek to, to expand political ties to, to, their, to their neighbors. Iran will not commit the same mistake it, it did in 2015 to basically neglect every neighbor to its east um, and, uh, and just look towards Europe um, for normalizing trade. Iran has learned its lessons. Iran, and this is what, what uh, President Raisi said um, on, uh, on the anniversary of the Iranian revolution, he basically said that Iran, uh, he, he paraphrased it, but he was basically saying that Iran is putting, is not going to put all the eggs in the basket of Europe and the West. So uh, this mistake will not be committed again. Let's also <clears throat> not forget that um, a lot of messages from Tehran vis-a-vis -vis the JCPOA have been issued during a state visit to Qatar or Oman just very recently. And uh, this is also a strategy the Iranians are adopting to basically take regional neighbors on board this time. It's obviously not possible to do that in Riyadh yet, 
But I think Iran has also understood, even though they may not admit it in public uh, messaging, that the region has to be somehow embraced more when it comes um, to the JCPOA. And that may then open the room to discuss regional affairs in which Iran and its, and its presumed uh, rivals have uh, common ground. Back to you, Vali. And, and what if what if the, the JCPOA falters or it or it doesn't uh, we don't arrive at a deal next week? Um, again, I really think that this long-term goal of neutralizing sanctions, something that Iran needs, will drive Iran to seek economic integration in its immediate neighborhood and to for the for the first time we may argue put economy before security when it comes to immediate rela- uh, neighborhood relations. This is why I'm hopeful, even if the JCPOA was to fall apart, which I don't think will happen. Very good. So uh, I have many more questions, but I want to just check in with uh, Nargis to see if uh, there are questions from the audience we should turn um, to. There are uh, a lot of them are already actually being covered with, okay, with so your questions, Adi. So I would say continue um, and I'll let you know if there's others that come up. Okay. So, so uh, it, it would be remiss of me if I don't ask you today of all days, uh, what do you think is, might be the impact of the, of the war in Ukraine on, on, um, on the region and on, and on the scenario we're, we're, we're seeing? I mean, there's obviously US attention, there's Russian attention, uh, and I'm, I'm also curious to see how each of you think the different capitals read uh, uh, just what's happening in Ukraine in terms of their own security, regional stability, et cetera. Uh, so let me start with you, Hisham. And it's just good to know like, what, how does Saudi Arabia see, see, see this event, aside from what it means for Iran? You know, in other words, how does it interpret this major change in the way in which we've anticipated stability in Europe? Uh, the Saudis, um, till now, the official statements are very neutral. So there is no, uh, no, no clear position until now. Uh, no sidelining with any of the uh, sides. But if you allow me, I would, un- I would integrate what uh, the Russian role and what I see as a regional security architecture. Because we always hear that the a comprehensive, and I hate using this word, but a comprehensive deal is necessary. However, the question is that is usually avoided, uh, why would Iran give up on the militias? Uh, this is a very useful tool, low cost, high return. With all the agency that the Houthi has, Yemen is a good example. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge that it, would be, uh, it wouldn't be easy to deal with this issue. Uh, uh, but the, yeah, I mean, uh, the international uh, arena is a jungle. We saw what happened to Ukraine, but the international community, um, the Chinese and the Russians, uh, maybe not the Russians now, but uh, they have to raise the cost on Iran, not because anyone wants to harm Iran, but because, because this will be counterproductive, I think. But to steer it away from relying on the militias in a rational manner. And I think that this is achievable. And in every way you look at it, the battle with the Saudis especially, and others in the region is not cheap. Adnan alluded to that. Even if you think you're winning in the short term, security is one of the prerequisites of healthy societies and an Islamic principle that also societies and state seek. And I think this, the, this region has a chance in having peace, maybe more than Europe now. And confidence building process is, I think, is a mutual and a commutative, uh, gradual, long-term effort. And if diplomatic relations are back, problems will remain. I want to be clear on this. Uh, without addressing the cause of the issue, the conflict will fester and explode as we saw uh, what happened in Ukraine. It will be a different infection each time in this region. So the way forward, in my opinion, is a regional dialogue that leads to uh, a regional security initiative, a non-aggression pact. Uh, and this regional initiative can be and should be supported by world powers, including China and also Russia. Why would a nuclear deal be possible while other parts related to security are difficult? And a comprehensive approach security, um, to security covering not only the political dimensions. We have, we have serious issues in this region, more than Europe. 
it's it's economy, it's a, it's the environment, the human dimension, it's water security, especially for Saudi and Iran. Both have this issue. Yeah, when the nuclear deal was a product of global cooperation, global and regional cooperation that address Iran concerns, and I stress on that, that accommodate it's, and minimize its fears is needed and possible in my opinion. Uh, this will be reflecting and changing the so-called uh, forward defense, offensive defense creed that Iran has and ensure also the survival of the regime. Uh, in every crisis, whether it's in Ukraine or in our region, there is an opportunity. Russia, China, among others, already declared on several occasions that they want to participate in such initiative without going into details. And both are close to Iran and also to the kingdom. The Saudis are ready to start this regional security, in my opinion, dialogue and initiative on the basis that I do not want to bind you to something that I'm not committed to. And I think this is fair to all sides and, and, and achievable and possible at the current moment. Very interesting. So, so uh, just a quick follow on, uh, Isham. Uh, uh, what is the Saudi public opinion on, on all of this? I mean, there was a time, let's say, a year or two ago where, you know, you, you had a sense that Saudi public opinion, Iranian public opinion yeah. were hardening towards one another. Uh, I'm just, just as you are talking about all of these possibilities, I'm, I, and I'm going to ask the same question of Adnan and, and Maria as well. Uh, you know, what, what do keep, is there, is there support? Is it soft, is it softening towards, um, towards building relations with Iran? And I think that is, there is this you know, public awareness with this, and this shifting sounds and, and changing dynamics in the whole world. Uh, people uh, seek uh, first um, um, economic prosperity, and they know that this wouldn't be achievable without economic, uh, regional economic integration. Also, the disengagement of the West, the U.S. specifically, uh, and, uh, requires different and new understandings in the region. People, I think, I think it's it's um, new paradigms are. This is this is the moment to push forward for for these new paradigms and um, for this conflict resolution or transformation. And I think I think it's possible and easy when people see the fruits of it. And the Iranians are not. And as I said, it's not a Sunni Shi'i conflict. It's not something. It's not this Orientalist view of it. It's something I I, I find it very offending. And I think uh, it's it's a political matter, political secu slash security. And if if we have solutions to the issues that we have now in the region, then people will be acceptable of it. Okay. So Maria, I mean, similarly, I want you to address the Ukraine issue I raised, but you're also sitting somewhere else in the region. So I'm curious to also what your think, what your read is of what, what popular opinion is about this kind of a rapprochement. Again, at the height of the Syria war, I remember that public opinion in the Arab world was, was quite hardened against Iran and, and its interference in the war. And support for Assad, uh, uh, but, but, but just what's the mood at this point in time about where things are going? Yeah, um, Vali, I will first maybe address the issue of the Ukraine. Because yes, yes, please. I want you to do both. <laughs> the European, we are actually sitting on a very, I mean, anyway. Um, I, I think, uh, look, on the Ukrainian issue, I think that um, honestly, the um, it's, it's a key, uh, it's a major, epo I mean, historical, like, uh, event that is happening. I mean, basically, uh, when the Baghdad conference, the Baghdad summit was organized, Macron was there. It was a moment uh, six months ago, seven months ago, that we thought Europe is going to be able to project strategic power to the region in autonomy from the NATO alliance, from the Atlantic alliance. I mean, what's happening yeah. to this moment is just like totally killing that. And I think it's just pushing back Europe under the NATO umbrella for the better or for the good. But this means also the, um, that, uh, I mean, that project that started, that discussion that started of a Europe that is more autonomous, strategically autonomous from the US when it comes also to engaging the region, it's, um, it's actually frozen, at least at the moment. And I think that that means also that the flashpoint of attention of Europeans, okay, we are engaging Iran, very engaging the Gulf, but the flashpoint of attention is Eastern Europe is what's happening at our own border as Europeans. So again, I, I think that this also has uh, impact uh, 
on Europe and on the region, because I think that uh, as the attention and uh, the focus of Europeans is going to be what's happening at our own eastern border, it means that we are going to leave more leeway to actually uh, some other uh, players like Turkey, actually, to, to operate and to expand influence in the space of Iraq and Syria. This is why I was mentioning before that I think one of the major consequences will be that Turkey will have a strong leeway now to operate as a member of the Atlantic Alliance um, uh, to expand its influence in the in the Levant, and and this will uh, definitely uh, raise uh, to, to I mean raise its strategic its strategic importance. And uh, um, uh, when it comes to um, who is uh, how is going this uh, this invasion how who is going to be uh, actually uh, sort of benefiting from it I had alluded in my first intervention I think as I said Turkey but also these smaller players like Qatar um, they are already like very active in trying to have a role in as a mediator as a, so I do think that actually the winners are the smaller players rather than um, than Saudi Arabia uh, itself um, but this is why I think that um, we come to the to the last uh, point that I wanted to mention that unless uh, actually um, this uh, line of communication between uh, the um, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran um, is not successful I mean if it is successful at least it can I think prevent the region to really being uh, becoming a backyard backyard of uh, some uh, of the backlash that also can derive from this conflict that are happening in other places. Um, I'm not exactly a believer that uh, a regional security architecture could be exactly possible at this moment, but I do think that uh, the tensions that are happening uh, in Ukraine will should and I hope will actually encourage uh, this big players, whether it's Saudi Arabia and Iran as the first nucleus, but also the other major players within the region to actually come together uh, and to prevent and to make less vulnerable this region from festering crisis. Because otherwise, I just see this region becoming less of an interest for the US, for Europe, and some conflict like Yemen, uh, and Syria just continuing to fester and other semi-authoritarian regime just to be tolerated, continuing to exist tolerated, because anyway, uh, the West has sort of given up no, on the Middle East. This is a bit the, the, the posture that is, that, is, that, is, uh, that is now dominant. Therefore, I think, as Adnan and Isham said, this should be, I mean, the players, the major regional players of the region should take their own future in their own hand, definitely. Thank you. Very interesting. So Adnan, uh, 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 you know, in Iran, uh, Iran's close relations with China and Russia has for a while been controversial at the public level. There's there's a lot of debate about uh, whether this is a good thing or a, or, or a bad thing. So, so I'm curious to know how Ukraine will, will play into this, will play into this calculation. But at the same time, some, some of the issues that Hisham raised are important in the sense that it's it's a it's a question as to whether the, the strategy of relying on militias et cetera uh, domestically has also reached its its limits. Uh, I mean, the, earlier on there were protests a number of years ago about Iran, Iran's su support for Lebanon, Iraq, et cetera. But but even in terms of the the ability of 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 the revolutionary guards to pursue this strategy without domestic opposition. Um, do you see it that way? And, and, and does the Iranian public opinion actually matter in, in the way in which this thing will go forward? Thank you, Vali. Um, well, I mean, the, the public, uh, public opinion, public views used to matter a lot in Iran. We could, we could argue that, the, that the, the last two years that has significantly decreased when we look at how the elections were held and how the elections went. Um, but, at, but at this point, I would still say public attention, public opinion matters, and uh, there is at least the necessity for the state elite to respond to um, public perceptions of certain issues. And obviously, uh, the invasion of Russia into Ukraine will be seen in a very negative light in, in Iran. Iranian officials, just like the Saudi officials, Hashan mentioned it, um, have tried to be as balanced as possible. So Foreign Minister Amir Abdullahian basically said, the reason for this crisis is the, are the politics by NATO, uh, and yet resorting to war is nothing Iran would uh, um, 
uh, condone. Um, so, so there is there is certainly uh, this this attempt to try and appear uh, balanced. And um, some are now saying, look, the Ukraine is learning the hard way that the West is unreliable and they, they will certainly try to benefit from this um, also by basically saying, look at what happened in Afghanistan. And now the situation in the Ukraine shows in Ukraine shows that basically there is no way that the West comes to your protection when it's actually needed. Very, very briefly, I know time is running out on uh, the militias and the network or the axis of resistance. I don't think it's realistic to think Iran would give up this structure, so to speak. But what does it mean in terms of trying to find a way to do no harm to each other? And I think this is exactly where we need to calibrate our expectations. Uh, not giving up on something doesn't mean to utilizing it. So this is, I believe, something that the Iranian and Saudis will have to discuss uh, for the years to come, not only uh, in, the, in the next round that hopefully will happen sometime in, in spring. Back to you, Vali. Thank you. Let, let me turn it over to Nargis for last questions and last thoughts. Sure. So um, thank you so much, for everyone, for a wonderful conversation. Uh, the audience was asking a lot of questions, but honestly, Vali was already covering a lot of those in his questions. Uh, so we didn't want to be redundant. But there are two that didn't get covered. And I know we don't have much time. I'll just pose these two from the audience and let you know whoever would, would like to take them. Um, one is a question from one audience member that asks, is it possible for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to turn away from the Abraham Accords towards one that promotes regional cooperation, such as the Baghdad Dialogues? And the other, I think you all have touched upon it, but it, not as directly. So um, if the desire by both parties is to negotiate um, based on their reading of the US regional policy to disengage, then what would happen uh, in the midterms that are coming up and in 2024, if there's going to be a Republican dominated Congress and a Republican presidency, uh, similar to uh, you know, what we had with Trump before? Um, I'll, whoever would, would like to take any of those questions is welcome. Hisham, you go for the first question. Actually, I, I, wanna, I wanna comment about uh about Yemen, if you allow me. I think we did not speak about Yemen. Sure, please. Uh, uh, I think a political solution is needed as this war has no end to it. And, uh, but this doesn't mean that this will, uh, will stop establishing these uh, diplomatic relations between the kingdom and Iran. Uh, in Yemen, we have a state that fights gangs. The Houthi is outside uh, the international sphere and he seeks to replicate the example of Taliban, while the Saudis, the coalition, uh, cannot operate outside, outside international legal bounds. Uh, the conflict also gives the Houthi privileges that he doesn't want to give up. <clears throat> so even if Iran wasn't involved, the Houthi will continue. And the, and the message also is sent to other groups, uh, including Daesh. Just wait long enough and eventually you will win. On the other hand, why would someone expect the Saudis to just dis disengage uh, from Yemen? Yemen is, uh, is uh, the kingdom's soft spot. It's not the Saudi backyard. It's, the, it's, the, it's a Saudi living room, a major national security interest with high cost, almost no return. The opposite um, uh, from the Iranian side. On top of this, the Saudis are held accountable for every breath they take but Iran is using Yemen for their forward defense. This equation has to change. It's difficult to change it, but it has to change. Otherwise the conflict will continue despite having uh, some sort of relations uh, between the kingdom and uh, Iran. And on the Abrahamic Accord, I know that this is a sensitive um, question, but the Saudis until now, and even during Trump time, did not uh, go ahead uh, with, the, with the Abrahamic Accord. What the Saudis seek is a more a, a regional um, security architecture that will benefit the whole region. This is the preferred uh, goal and outcome that the Saudis seek. Adnan, did you wanna add anything to that? Or Maria? Please, Maria. Before Adnan, I have just a comment, maybe final on the question on the US. So, but you go first. 
Um, well, I um, I would in general actually uh, also think that this this point of the Abraham Accords is important. Um, that this is I also heard in Iran they would probably never say that officially, but the logic is there that. Um, they are recognizing there is not that much appetite in this in Saudi Arabia in the kingdom to follow suit with the UAE and Bahrain to normalize. Um, and Iran is, I think, feeling that there is a there is an opportunity to to engage the Saudis and basically bring them closer to themselves rather than pushing them also in the hands of of of, of Israel. So I think this is how it plays out, and that might further incentivize Iran to seek these these regional talks. Yes, a last word maybe on the question regarding uh, what will happen if the mood in Washington and the political wind in Washington changes, which I think it's a very good question because um, it points to the, I mean, an important uh, issue. And I think that, uh, um, uh, I mean, in, in, in Riyadh, I think one of the major like thinking is saying, okay, if actually, can we revert to you know a maximum pressure policy if we have U.S. support from Republican Congress, for instance? I think that here actually sits our conversation and say like I think that it will be important to make enough steps into the dialogue between these two players, so that both Saudi Arabia and Iran will actually see more advantages in continuing that talk than in reverting to maximum pressure policy or any aggressive policy against each other. That's a great point to end on. Thank you so much, Maria, for that comment. And thank you everyone uh, who joined us today in the audience. And But a special thank you to our excellent panelists um, for joining us and for providing such a rich uh, conversation and uh, learning opportunity for all of us.